So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. And as always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our logo. And on Twitter, it's the same, but in this case, it's at Folk on Falcons with the same logo. So, I'm trying to recall the last time we had two consecutive victories to talk about. Um, must be early on this season, September, October time. And for a long time on the weekend against Zebra, I thought I wasn't going to be able to say such a thing because, well, we were in the lead for, what was it, one conversion's worth of time in the whole game. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's a win. But, I mean, that's as much as you can sort of really positive you can sort of say about it, really. Uh, absolutely terrible, isn't it? Possibly the top, in the top two or top three worst performances I've seen ever, or at least for a very, very long time. All things considered, because we were playing an opposition that hadn't won in all competitions, and considering how strong the team we had out, it just didn't get going at all. I don't know if it was a case of they just underestimated them, or I don't know, it's maybe harsh to say weren't up for it, or or whatever, but if talk about a wake-up call, if they ever needed a wake-up call, um, just didn't look at it at all. And I think they were really, really lucky in the end to, to obviously get the a try, the winning try, last last play of the game. And it was all down to sort of, a lot of it just, yeah, down to just the terrible aimless kicking, which we've seen uh, the, the other night. And I think Zebra kind of, whilst they did a bit of it themselves, they kind of had a bit more of a go, didn't they? I guess that didn't have anything to lose. And I think some of that running review was pretty good. And, you know, that was almost really the difference in the end. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things we can talk about, but with it being a, a Saturday night and a relatively late kickoff, I'm not sure whether that had anything to do with it. I was watching it on the TV and oh, I paid for my five euros, whatever it is. Um, you happened to be there and give everyone a wave when I asked you to start when they're streaming. So if you've got the Twitter, you'll have seen Ian waving his hands around. But um, yeah, the first 10 minutes, nothing really happened. It felt like, and then you look at the scoreboard and we're 12-0 down and They've just been giving away simple penalties. A lot of criticism from the referee, but I don't actually think he was that bad. I think we were just giving away simple penalties and asking for it. And then you look at the scoreboard, you think, oh, Crumb's got a mountain to climb now. And we got back into it. End of the first half, actually, we did get ahead for a short amount of time. But then no sooner did we do that, and then we go and concede again and then give ourselves another uphill struggle in the second half. Well, yeah, I mean, it was the really poor discipline to begin with. Four penalties conceded very quick succession. Their kicker was deservedly man of the match. Um, their fly half kicked everything absolutely brilliantly. I mean, a lot of the kicks weren't that difficult, but he still he still took them. In many ways, we have a tale of two kickers because Conan was not wonderful that night. But um, yeah, as you say, just sort of silly penalties, unnecessary penalties early on in the match in sort of positions where they weren't in any sort of real danger. They'll just sort of round the halfway line or between halfway line and the 22 and yeah, it's kind of and that just sort of set the tone. And as you said, I wonder if it's a factor that it's a sort of funny kickoff and that maybe it's just they, they weren't switched on or something. It's odd though, but yeah, they, that absolutely terrible. I remember texting you at half time and I'll say, surely it can't get any worse. And then that's where we're obviously the point ahead 13 12. And then, of course, it did get worse and got that they got a try and my got Sinbind as well. Um, really, really bad. And, and the point about the referee as well, of course. Dino says in his comments, oh, they didn't adapt to the referee, you know, the usual sort of copy and paste every week. You don't even need to look at the report to guess what's going to be in it half the time or his reaction rather. But I, again, I thought the referee was all right. There weren't any decisions where I was sort of completely up in arms thinking, well, that's absolutely outrageous or completely wrong or didn't understand. I thought it was no better or no worse than most of the ones you see there every week. But yeah, really, really poor stuff. Yeah, Conan's kicking off the tee as well as 
out of hand wasn't quite up to scratch. Um, I'm not sure they missed a kick all night. Perhaps they missed one later on. But um, we missed a number of conversions and the game would have been dead and buried if they'd gone over earlier on. Then out of hand, they were kicking it further than us and more accurately than us. And we proceeded to kick it back to them. And it was you could almost just see it playing into exactly what they wanted. They realised that that's the way they were going to beat us. They kicked it to us and just waited for us to mess it up. And we did. And at some point, you've got to think, hang on a second. We started off kicking this ball on about the halfway 10-metre line. We're now clearing it from our own 22 and struggling to find a decent touch. Oh, we've lost 30 or 40 yards over this. Then think, well, hang on a second. Why don't we just run it or not kick it to them or try and set something up as opposed to just aimlessly hoof it and hope that something's going to change? It's not going to change. We've seen it all season. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, going with Conan's goal kicking, yes, a lot of those kicks he missed weren't the easiest in the world, but they weren't difficult. You'd expect a premiership level kicker to be slotting those. And of course he didn't, uh, which did put us on the back foot as well as the performance in general. Because as you say, if you slotted those, uh, even though we were playing terrible, we still would have been ahead. But yeah, it was the kicking tennis, which summed it up. And you're right in that we were always coming worse off out of it. And just before Zebra got their try in the, the first was the second half, the start of the second half, you know, had this kicking tennis backward and forward, backwards and forward. The crowd was really starting to get annoyed. You could really sort of hear the boobs. And, Zebra just obviously thought, oh, we'll just, we'll just have a go, we'll run it. And they ran it. And you know, I don't know who it was, Falcons player missed a tackle. You know, they ran about a third length of the pitch, recycled it, whatever, and then scored the try. And it just shows you, you know, if you actually run, if you actually use the ball occasionally and actually run with it sometimes, you know, you may get some points, you may score a try. And that was a lesson if there ever was one. And of course, that's when I got Sinbind as well. So it was a double whammy. Um, and it just, yeah, that absolutely summed it up. And it didn't really get any better in terms of the kicking tennis. It's just a case that sort of eventually kind of our pressure told and we got away with it in the end. I think maybe they tied slightly, all their discipline went as well towards the end, which gave us the opportunity to get the penalties, which, you know, meant that we did put our pressure on to win it. But yeah, it, it's a, it was the same stuff, the same failings that we've had all season encapsulated in one absolutely dreadful performance that luckily this time we got away with. Yeah, it's very rare we say dreadful performance and we managed to win with a bonus point, but that's exactly what happened. And um, I think four there were four highlights of the game for me. One was obviously the winning try within the last minute and then um, the, the rather amusing fiasco that happened with the big screen not working inside the stadium. So they couldn't, uh, the referee couldn't review it. TMO had to just tell him it was fine. Second highlight was Burrell's try. I thought that that was actually one of the few times in the game that we looked like something from a training ground that wasn't just aimless kicking and paid off. Excellent line, good bit of pace, dosed it down the corner, fantastic just before half-time. Third particular highlight was um, when I thought Fusa was kicking it to touch from a penalty. Turned out there were two balls on the pitch and he absolutely hoofed it from about the middle of the pitch way into the uh, east stand. And you thought, bloody hell, he's given that a wallop. What on earth's going on? thinking it was some strange training ground move, and then it turns out that um, Collins actually got the other ball in his hands, but still nice to see who's giving it a hoof. And then the final part of the evening, um, which I thought was quite amusing, was um, obviously Bilmaya got sin-binned and we got a line-out. So what do clever old Falcons do? We think, oh, well, we'll let Schroeder throw it in. So what do we do? Schroeder throws it in, not straight. Scrum and McGuigan has to come on anyway. So we've already been better off just subbing McGuigan before the line-out and then doing a line-out and having the ball ourselves as opposed to giving the opponents a, a put into the scrum. There were the four highlights that you two of them quite stupid and funny to watch. Two of them actually nice to see. But yeah, we got there in the end. And it's it's a shame that 
we came away with a, a victory, which is kind of all that we needed from the game, really. And it overshadowed what was quite a good day for the club because there was the supporters' Q&A with uh, Dean Richards before the game. There was the A-team match, which was a good performance against Harriet, and we put in a good good result there. And then we won again in the evening, but all that everyone's come away from the game, I think, is how on earth we managed to come away from that and somewhat relieved that we got through into the next round. Yeah, um, I mean, well, as you say, the important thing was to get the win um, and to make sure that we went. I mean, we were never going to finish any higher than second, thanks to the, the Toulon write-off early on in the year. There were just there were just too many points ahead of us on the table. But you know, at the end of the day, they did all they had to do. They finished second. They got the home draw, and I mean, I think going into that game against Glasgow, I think you well, you like to hope that they can't be as bad again. Surely not, and I think. The fact that we are playing against, certainly on paper, better opposition, I think they will at least mentally step it up, whether, you know, actually in terms of performance or, you know, in terms of how they implement whatever game plan they have, it will actually be better. I don't know. But I think with the, it will, I, I'm confident it won't be as bad. Whether that be enough to get a win, I don't know, because Glasgow are pretty decent outfit, but surely it, it can't be as bad again. And, the, you know, they've got time to kind of look over the performance. I'm sure they'll be pretty annoyed with themselves with it and kind of take that into the next game. Yeah, as you said there, um, it was a, a game against a te- an Italian team that hadn't won competitively since early 2021. And I've played sport enough times to realize that you get dragged down to your opponent's level. You go into a match thinking it's going to be a doddle. And it's psychological, it's... They disrupt it, make you play badly because they're playing bad. All these sorts of things you can say, but ultimately it's just a case of doing what you do right, being clinical, and hopefully against a better team in Glasgow, we put on to better performances. Because um, that's been released now. It's going to be Friday evening at Kingston Park, and tickets are only a tenner for adults of five for children. Good Friday. Hopefully it's a cracking one to get people to the ground with their families. We've just got to hope it's a performance that people want to come and see again in the league or in the next round of the cup, perhaps. Yeah, well, it's like any of these sort of games, you know, mentioned it there. You want a good performance first and foremost, because of course we all want to win and we want to go to the next round of the of the cup. And, you know, I think I think the, the quarter final tie actually, I think if you look at the side of the draw we're on, um, I think it's probably the slightly more favourable one as well. Um, there's no Saracens and, and Gloucester certainly in an outside of the draw. Uh, but yeah, if if you know, first of all, as you say, we've got to win it, but also it would be really nice to, if not a spectacle, then a really good win against a really good opponent. And you hope that it would be a decent crowd, you know, cheap tickets and a bit of an, a bit of an occasion, you know, European game against a team we don't normally play. I think we've never played them before, uh, so be competitively. And yeah, just hopefully they, they get a win and everyone goes home really happy and want to come, want to come back for more. Yeah, we, we don't think we've played them competitively. Um, please tell us if we're wrong. It may be that in the amateur days it might have happened at some point and some trophy at some point, probably Gosworth played whoever. Although Glasgow Warriors is quite a new team, so perhaps it hasn't, I don't know. But then also we did play them in pre-season and I think we, we won that one the last minute try as well. I think Makoki Koki scored then. So if you look at our record so far in this competition, we beat Worcester by less than a try. We beat Biarritz, the last player of the game. We've then beaten um, Zebra, last player of the game. And... Are we going to beat Glasgow last play of the game? I'll take it if we do, but um, we certainly need to put a better performance in. And then that would mean that, as you say, the the next round, I think we are on the good side of the draw. Now, outside of the draw, we've got Leon, Worcester, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Bath, Beeritz and Wasps. 
And to be honest, the way that those teams perform this year, it looks like we can get to the final on that side without... Wasps probably be the most tricky game out of all of that. But then when we played them in the league a couple of weeks ago, we played very well. Are Wasps going to take the tournament seriously? Maybe if they get to the semi-finals, they might. But at that stage, it might be that they're fighting for a decent league position. They might focus on that instead. And then on the other side, you've, as you say, you've got Gloucester, Northampton, Saracens, Cardiff, Toulon, Benetton, London Irish and Castra. So, um, yeah, I certainly think that we've got as good a chance as we could hope for in that. And it might be that there's an away trip to Lyon on the cards in the next round, which is the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th May. I think I've got a wedding that weekend, so I need to have some diplomatic discussions. But... We'll see what happens there. Well, I mean, yeah, you talk about that side of the draw. Um, I suppose it's, it's easier than what we had last year because, of course, we had Ospreys, which had a really good win away at Ospreys in the round of 16. And then, obviously, a really difficult, you know, several bridges too far, I think, away trip to Leicester. Um, so, you know, if we do beat Glasgow, um, then, you know, I, I do fancy us against Evan Leon and we'll see, you've got to think in this competition. And then once you obviously through the quarterfinal and the semi-final, you know, anything can happen. And then, as you say, you know, no, you've got one, potentially one away day in France, you may have a second one in Marseille in the final. Um, yeah, I mean, we, like we've always said, you know, we've got to have a go at this competition, especially in a relegation and this this year is genuinely a really good chance to go very far in this competition. I think the the, the draw has kind of helped that. Um, so, you know, let's, fingers crossed, hands clasped together. Let's, you know, hopefully we can take it seriously and string a few decent performances to get really, really the, the business deep end of this competition. Yeah, certainly not to hope for. And um, just thinking again about kicking... Um, if we move on to the next segment of the podcast, there's been some comings and goings. And if we remember Wasps a few weeks ago, Will Hayden Wood, when we had about 10 minutes to go, one of the worst kicks for touch I've ever seen in all my life. And now he's off to Wasps. And um, I doubt for any, I don't think at all there's any chance that he deliberately spoofed it. But it's one of these ones where the tin foil hat conspiracy theorists be thinking, did someone have a word with him at some point? Or did he get a signal from the sideline saying, don't you dare stick this in the corner? And... Yeah, it's, it's now been confirmed what we suspected that he's off to Wasps. And also Robbie Smith, that's been confirmed, is off to Northampton Saints. So, yeah, I think that the shame that both are leaving. I I find that Will Hayden Wood's extreme shame because he had so much going for him and hopefully he's going to be the future. Robbie Smith, I completely understand that he's got two of the best hookers in the country again or in front of him. So he's just wanting to further his chances elsewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we went into quite a bit of detail about or depth as well about sort of our thoughts about Hayden Wood in the, in the last episode. Um, I don't repeat it too much, but it, it is the same, isn't it? You know, it is deeply disappointing. We don't know exactly as to how it happened, as you're saying last week, in terms of whether what's just got there first in terms of a contract offer and Falcons didn't realise quite what a talent they had on their hands at the time of the start of the season, or have what's just come in with a much better financial offer and he's just gone for that. You know who knows, but yeah, it, it does leave a you know it does leave a bit of taste um, because I think he, as we said last week, he was the sort of academy product coming through, and you would have thought in the future we're looking to build a team sort of around him, certainly build a backline around him and Nordi Kalametti like that entire partnership. But you know it's, he's gone now, and now it's up the club to sort of replace him. And with Robbie Smith, you know you're right there that you know he's obviously unfortunate that he does have probably two of the best hookers in English hookers as well in the country, sort of just in front of him. And his game time is obviously going to be limited and you can't really blame him. Again, you don't know if it was a case of whether Falcon said, well, look, your game time is obviously going to be limited because look who we've got. 
a hooker or he's just kind of his own accord for you know well i'll just you know i'm gonna i'm gonna jump before i'm pushed sort of thing you never know with these things but i don't think you could there's too much surprise about robbie swift going but you know like all these young player departures it's a shame but you know that's professional sport yeah i think that one thing that we've got is kind of silver lining to the hayden wood situation a lot of people have been saying he's a once in a generation sort of player etc and don't get me wrong, he's extremely good, but he's not once in the generation because we've got young Louis Johnson coming through um, from the academies, played England in the 20s. And I just really, really hope the club learns from the mistakes that have been made with Hayden Wood because when you see that they've... It was almost like a job reference for somebody who had been a bad employee when they announced he was leaving. It wasn't a sort of, we're really sorry to see him go best of luck for the future. It was more of a, Will Hayden Wood has left. So it's obviously the club wanted to keep him and they've not been able to. And hopefully they can learn with Louis Johnson because um, he's not quite the same player as Hayden Wood. But as we kept the two of them, I think uh, Hayden Wood at 10 and Johnson at 12 would have been a fantastic combination. Unfortunately, that's not going to be the case. And it might be that it takes a year or so for Louis Johnson to really get stuck into the first team. But I really hope we don't not learn from the mistakes that have been made with playing Hayden. Because I, I'm, I'm very confident had we played him early in the season and offered him a contract early doors, not let it get down to the 11th hour, then we probably wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Well, we know it's sort of, in some ways, a catch-20 situation with the club with some players where financially we can't compete with other clubs and... Because of that, obviously, we can't actually compete. Means that we're not going to be successful, and players, better players, obviously want to go more money and for more success. You know, that's if you know you, you got you got to hold your hands up to that, and that is the catch twenty situation we're in. But I don't want to be too resigned about it because I think there are ways perhaps we can break that. But that's another issue. But you're right in that I think it'd be incredibly disappointing if it is the case of just we drop the ball in it as a club, and that, like I said, Wasp perhaps realizes potential before we did, and and as you say, not wait till the eleventh hour to actually. Oh no, we do have actually a real player on hands here. Let's give him a contract, and you may have thought, well, you may have said rather, well, I've already agreed to Wasser in the season or well Wasps are offering me much better terms now they obviously value me more or whatever etc cetera, etc cetera. so as you say gotta hope we, those lessons have been learned but you would have thought that they would know it's a lesson which shouldn't have to have been learned really and that I think that's the disappointing part of it really that well certainly the most disappointing part yeah well if we just um, obviously this Will Hayden Wood one was a rumour before it became established another rumour that I've heard is that Marco Fuso might be on his way it's very much a passing comment I've heard uh, not anything more than that it's not been in the rugby paper or anything I don't believe yet so hopefully that one's not going to come off because I think he'll be a huge one but I've also heard of um, obviously sounds like Tin Schumann's coming from Bath but also I've heard rumours about Grayson which might be a reasonably good standing in the centres or a fly half coming in. Yeah, I mean, I think that one is, I think that's a, uh, be quite a positive one, actually. Um, you know, he's a player that, you know, we know his level of skill, we know his experience. I think he's a player who you think could probably slot in all right. Um, I don't think his injury record's too bad either. I think a, a player of sort of his ilk would, would add would add a high level of quality, whether it is a, it's as high a level as we need or consistent level as we need, I don't know. But, Again, this goes back to the catch two situation. You know, what sort of level of players can we attract? And that is, unless you kind of, we can pull some sort of marquee signing out of the band, which sometimes they do. And as we know, sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't. Um, that's sort of, I think, the sort of level of player that we are going to have to try and get. And, you know, we've kind of been on the, unfortunately, receiving end of rumours recently in which, you know, we've had rumours of players leaving, which turned out to be true. And but it'd be nice to actually have some positive rumours. 
actually turn out to be true for us and that we do get some some signings or some signings are announced sooner rather than later just to kind of have a bit of optimism going into the season that the club can replace some of these outgoings. Yeah, and then one, one final bit of good news to finish on is that um, it's now been announced that Lockwood, um, not the not the front row Lockwood from a few years ago, the new upstart um, Lockwood in the back row, number eight or back row in general, so, um, signed on for two years he signed. So that's some... Fantastic news and the way he's been playing lately. I can see him getting an awful lot of appearances over the next two years. Well, I mean, maybe lessons have been learned about Haywood because he's been given a new contract pretty quickly, hasn't he? And he definitely deserved it. I mean, what an impression he's made in the, in the handful of games he has played so far towards the sort of end of the season that we're currently in. You know, he's stepped up. We've had a bit of an injury crisis in the back row. Not just him, like in say, a lot of our sort of of fringe back row players, they've all stepped up. And, you know, Lockwood does not look like a player who is just come up from the academy and, you know, only has a handful of games or even minutes under his belt at that level. He looks like he's been there for a good couple of years. Um, the credit to him, I mean, absolutely deserves it. And, you know, we've got a real player on our hands. And, you know, we talk about the academy and this is the kind of positive side of it, and especially in the forwards. We just seem to have this conveyor belt and the back row of really, really good sort of back rows just coming through. And it's, it, that, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, that, that I think is probably the one major positive for the club. And it's nice to see that in this case, certainly no ball has been dropped and he has been given the contract he's deserved. And I think we look forward to him being a falcon, I think, for many years to come. One final thing to note is that when we talk about Haydenwood and players leaving for the clubs, it's not like football where they're big money transfers. These are unfortunately players where they come to the end of their contract with the Falcons and they sign as a free agent, a contract with another club. And we keep producing these players from the academy and we invest an awful lot of time and resources into these players and they often move on without a transfer fee attached because of the way that rugby is. You don't get the huge big money signings for these great players. And part of me is almost thinking, well, is it better to sign them on slightly longer contracts and then be able to sell them? Uh, I don't know whether, whether that sort of thing can goes on or does go on but certainly a shame when we lose the good prospects and don't make money out of it well that's the thing with carry players isn't it how as you say either the contract just runs out and they go for free I mean maybe, maybe some sort of fees involved but you know there's no major transfer fee or even if they are sort of up and coming prospects you know you're still not going to command a big fee for them even if they do have a year or so left on their contract you know, if the, unless they get to like a Radwan level very quickly you know they are not going to command big fees so it's that's why it's so important and that's why you really have to kind of wonder what kind of went on in dropping the ball in terms of offering a new contract because he would have thought that not only do you want to keep the players as a good player but surely as an investment for you know for, for the club going forward if you do want to sell him in the future you've got to tie down these players in, con- in some sort of medium or long-term contracts um but yeah it, it's not it's not just a loss on the pitch but you're right it's a loss of finances and each one of these players if you think over the course of the years how much money has gone into yeah developing each one of these stuff potential you know future stars and yeah it's a shame and I don't know maybe it's a bit maybe being too critical maybe it's a bit symptomatic of some of the problems that the club is facing perhaps behind the scenes that these kind of things can slip under the radar because you would have thought if anything they'll be really keen on the financial side of things if, if you know even if you do drop the ball a bit in terms of the playing side you would have thought financially you know they'll be on the ball with these things but obviously not and again that's what makes it so disappointing yeah I have to hope that um for a selfish point of view, hope it doesn't work out like has happened with various other players that have come back over the years. And then he comes back in two or three years' time and has a long and successful career with us. But I kind of hope hope that for, the, for our sake. But then, obviously, you, you do wish him well and 
hope that he um, shows quite what a good academy we've got to the rest of the country. Well, I might not want to market it too much because you don't want these other teams coming every year poaching our best players. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think he's gone. We, could, we kind of have to kind of let that go and hopefully the conveyor belt keeps on going and we kind of keep the players this time. That's the important thing. One final thing, obviously with the salary cap coming down this year, it would seem a lot of clubs are getting rid of a lot of players to try and meet the salary cap. I don't think anyone's messed up quite the same way Bristol have managed to, where I think there's been a... HR person dropping the ball somewhere but um, it seems that maybe Agent Dino is waiting for all these players suddenly to get released at the end of this season and take his pick as opposed to lining up beforehand I'm not sure but um, with the salary cap coming down certainly brings other teams more down to our level as opposed to making it more difficult for us to compete. Yeah, I mean, it, well, we'll see what happens in terms of players getting released or whatnot. And then, of course, the question is, well, even if they are released on a free or very small fee, you know, can we afford them in terms of wages or anything? And, you know, potentially the level of player, would they want to come to, to the Falcons? Um, it will help us. I think it will. It will make our league more competitive, will make the premiership more competitive. It's, it's got to. Surely. I mean, it may not be immediate, but you think it will do over the course of a period of time. Interesting side note, though, is that perhaps it will make English teams less competitive, I think, in, in Europe, certainly in the Heineken Cup, because you've got to think that, unlike the French, you can just have huge squads of all sorts of stars, or, you know, your, your Irish teams like your Leinster Munster who can just fill up Irish internationals. It's going to make us less competitive in Europe, which I think is an interesting side note, but I suppose as a Falcons fan, do we care for English teams were less competitive in Europe? Surely we care more that the premiership being more competitive. So I think we have to look on it from our point of view, the salary cap being reduced as a positive thing. Yeah, I was just about to say exactly that, that I think that in the standings in England, we'll certainly do better, but in Europe, I think we'll do worse. You look at the weekend and there are players like Mercer playing, uh, who he was fantastic the other day uh, against Harlequins. And he's a sort of player where he should be knocking on the door for England, but he's not going to because he's playing in France. And it's only going to happen that talent drifts overseas to get the money in France if the salary cap comes down here. And I, I do wonder whether, or for certainly English rugby for the English team, whether the salary cap's a good thing. The Falcons, I'm pretty sure it is, but the English rugby or the, the England team, not so sure. But um, also the French leagues are very different in that they've got these multi-millionaires that throw money at it as a hobby and they don't have any of the entry criteria in the same way that we do, which limit promotion and relegation. They've got two first, or the first and second tier in France. So there's a lot of movement between them and it's different clubs going up and down every year. It's kind of what everyone would want to see here. So would it be better to get rid of some of these financial restraints and then have proper promotion relegation with clubs that do what they want with their grounds and are still allowed to come up to the top tier well I mean potentially um, I think I don't know it's, would you say in the top 14 how that you do get a much bigger gap it's almost like three leagues in a way in the top 14 so you've got the, the main you know the big spend top 14 so you've got your Rassings and all right, two lots of two lot of kind of dropped down a bit a little bit but there's still got the money there for example your Rassings your Claremont's your Bordeaux's for example who are you know who do have the money and do very well to uh, to, to lose of course but they've obviously been traditionally up there um, you know they're sort of like almost one league and then you have the teams below them who you know, think people like your briefs, for example, who aren't don't have the money, they aren't going to breach into those sort of that sort of racing kind of club of teams. But they're sort of in a league where they're almost at a level or just above a level of teams that regularly sort of go up. So you got um well it has been Buritz and Perpignan this season, but 
Um, trying to think of sort of these other, like Powell, for example, these sort of teams that kind of go up and down sort of semi-frequently or buy on these sort of teams. So that's almost like a league. And then you have at the bottom of Division 2, you have the sort of bottom teams of Division 2 who don't really have much chance getting promoted. So it's almost like a free-tier system in France, but you're right in that you do get, it does give the impression of being much more competitive and you do get the, you get a much higher turnaround of different teams. I mean, it's maybe the same five or six teams, but the point is that's, that's much more than we get in England. So I don't know, it's, it's an interesting argument in terms of salary cap and with and the, comparing that to lack of salary cap in France and does that make it more fair or not? Or does it just appear to be on the surface? But you're right in the point in that I think it is for English teams playing in Europe, it will be harder. I, I've always thought for England as in the English international team, I'm, I think they could pick players from playing French teams. I don't see, I think you just pick the best English players. I think it's ridiculous trying to retain them in England. You know, if, if you want them to play in England, then, you know, I think they, or rather they don't want to play in England, they want to get more money in France. And that's the nature of it. I think you've got to allow it. For, for an English point of view, or an RFU point of view, you've got to think, well, what you pick the best players. And if they have to be France, then so be it. I think it's more of a sort of premiership issue if they want to deal with things like the salary cap and the consequences of that. But I think that it's almost like Van Dagger. I think the two different things, and I do acknowledge they overlap, but I don't think, for example, like Mercer there, um, I think Mercer should be in contention to be in the England squad. And I think it's unfair. And I think it's wrong that he isn't. Um, if we just uh, talk about some of the other games in the weekend, I'll just quickly run through the scores. So we'll start off with the Challenge Cup on Friday night, Breathe 5, Saracens 55 and Edinburgh 54, POW 5. So two very similar scorelines there. Um, on Saturday in the Challenge Cup, we had Beeritz beating Toulon 20 points to 17 and Newcastle us beating Zebra 25 points to 22. And then you also have Benetton beating Perpignan 17-7 and Dragons losing 21-26 to Gloucester in the Challenge. Uh, sorry, in the Champions Cup on Friday. These were all first legs, and I feel that with the the leg structure of the Champions Cup, some of the games were almost a bit of a stalemate where neither time really, neither side really wanted to push the boat out in the first leg, and as a result, there's quite a few close scorelines. So um, Connacht lost 21-26 to Le- Leinster on Friday night. On Saturday, Bordeaux 13, La Rochelle 31. Sale lost nine points to 10 in Bristol, one of the most boring games of rugby I've watched in a long time. Toulouse lost 20 points to 26 against Ulster in what was a more exciting game. Exeter beat Munster 13 points to 8 in a good gritty one. And Stade Francais lost 9-22 to Racing 92. And then finally on Sunday, an excellent game for Montpellier against Harlequins. They were 26 points up at one point, I think. Maybe even a bit more than that. Um, they really put Harlequins to the sword. There's a sin bin. I think they got three or four tries in the 10 minutes that um, Ustazen was off. And they ended up winning 40 points to 26. And then Clermont Auvergne lost 10-29 to Leicester. And that means that uh, the tables as they stand at the end of the Challenge Cup. In Pool A, which was ours, Toulon ended up with 16 points, winning three and losing one. We had 14. Beeritz had 12. Worcester had nine. Zebra had two. In Pool B, Leon had 18, Gloucester had 16, Benetton had 8, Perpignan had 4, Dragons had 2, Edinburgh had 15, or sorry, in Pool C, Edinburgh had 15, London Irish had 12, Saracens had 11, Brief had 6, and Pau had 5. Um, the way it works, you kind of seed all the first places in order of the points they scored. So from 1 to 3, the second places are all seeded 4 to 6. Third place is seeded seven to nine, and then the best place, fourth place, 
which I think ends up being Worcester in the end, was the final one. And then you get the six teams being thrown in on top of that 10 from the Heineken Cup. So if we go around the region over the, the weekend, Darlington Mountain Park beat Plymouth 25 points to 22. Hull thrashed Blade in 17 or 57 points to 17. And Tyndall got well beaten by Century Park 14 45. Billingham 49, Rosendale 14, so a good victory there. And Annick got beaten by a point, 31 points to 30 at Macclesfield. In North One East, Durham got hammered by Ilkley, 54 points to 10. And in the North East, Derby, Morpeth beat Concert, 44 points to 22. Um, if we're just looking around the leagues in North One East, I think Concert um, are going down. They've got to pull off a miracle in the last couple of games to be able to survive. And it's getting to the part of the season now we can kind of work out who's won what. And it looks like Percy Park have continued their excellent team. I think they won an England award for team of the month over the last couple of weeks and they're now well out ahead in Durham Northumberland Division 1. Look like they can't be caught and they um, beat Horden and Peterley 87 points to 14, but not quite score of the week because down in Durham Northumberland Division 2, Gateshead beat Redker 94 points to 10. So, two wins out of two. We try to be positive in the very difficult circumstances, but Hopefully, Good Friday is indeed a good Friday and we can all rejoice and be merry and be grateful for new life at the Falcons. Happy Easter, everybody. Bye, everyone.